The History of Alternative Podcast. A historic look back at everything alternative. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. MTV launched in 1981, turning the music industry and pop culture upside down in the process. From its new wave beginnings, kicking off with Video Killed the Radio Star by the Buggles, MTV became a tastemaker, a go-to curator for music fans everywhere. In the world of alternative music, one of the genre's earliest moments of mainstream legitimacy came when MTV started airing 120 Minutes, a haven for alternative miscreants, trendsetters, rule breakers, and experimentalists. This is the History of Alternative podcast. I'm James Van Ostel, and that's downtown Julie Brown. Waka, 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 or whatever the phrase was, JV. Was it waka or wubba? Wubba, wasn't it? Wubba, wubba, wubba. I'm just going to continue. Sorry. This (laughs) fine podcast is sponsored by Wintrust. They can help you with your finances. Just click your heels together three times and say, I want my MTV or or just go to Wintrust.com. So working backwards, I wrongly expected that the pandemic year would bring on some kind of music video renaissance. I feel like that's been long overdue. I assume that because no one was on the road, artists might be leaning in and creating video content. Some did, obviously. Not at all what I was expecting. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> you were right to think that uh, you may have overlooked uh, the advent of TikTok and short attention spans. I think um, few things have done worse things for music videos than social media and <laughs> vines and Instagram stories that only last 15 seconds. I mean, there was a moment too, even when um, some of the... Um, music streaming services there, there's videos now attached to songs on there but they're loops they're like five second visual loops um so the full length music video i wonder and i guess we should probably get into that right now like the relevancy of a music video now versus back in 1981 through until the internet age i guess music videos were everything do you, what's your what's the first music video you remember? Wow, uh, maybe "Whip It" by Devo. Sure, it's hard to say. I, I Devo was probably the first, or maybe "Ashes to Ashes" by David Bowie. Okay, I think for me, it's um, it's gotta be it's gotta be Thriller. Like I can't think of a music video before that. I mean, I know there are music videos before that, but Thriller is the one for me that was like, you have to know what that is. Like, you had to know that, you know, like that was such a touching point of culture. So when we were planning our episode for this week, the original plan was to have Matt Pinfield on. Matt Pinfield, yes. who was the most well-known or beloved host of the 120 Minutes show, the alternative music show on MTV. By the way, as a total side note, when I make my first million dollars, I'm going to hire producers for every podcast I host. Booking guests is like the hardest thing to do in the world of podcasting. First thing I do, my first million, I'm going to buy the best goddamn producers that exist and just have them book their hearts out for every podcast, including this one. But Matt, uh, for a variety of reasons, not many of which I even know, couldn't do the podcast this week. So we decided let's, let's still talk about MTV because one of the topics I keep coming back to, whether in real life conversations or podcast conversations is this idea of curation. 
you hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. Music sucks today. Rock is dead. Music isn't the way it used to be. And I don't think that's the case. I, I think the issue is curation. People don't know where to find the stuff they like. They don't know who those curators are who are going to send them down the right path. MTV served that role for so many people for a very long time. MTV was a tastemaker. MTV was a music curator. In the world of alternative music, 120 Minutes was was the Bible we worked from. Yeah, that show was a, um, a must videotape uh, for me. Sunday nights with Matt Pinfield, it was get the VCR recorder out and uh, or all the VCR is a recorder. Uh, get the VCR out, set the timer, and I would wake up Monday morning and watch all 120 minutes and then start bugging um, well, you <laughs> to, re- to play the songs on the radio the next day. That was uh, that was my mantra. That, that was how you found all the cool music it was you know it was you read about all these bands in spin and rolling stone and wherever whatever zine you were into mtv 120 minutes was such a validator of that and um it always uh kind of makes me jealous i guess is the best word for it but sad and bummed out a little bit because um i always wanted to be matt pinfield like i wanted to be the dude that found all the cool new music right and you know behind the scenes that's sort of my gig here you know Mm -hmm. besides being on the radio that's that's kind of like the behind the scenes thing it's kind of my job job right um and it's it's funny because you know that um that curator title is so it's just gone now and it kind of bums me out because we're still here we're still curating tunes we're still picking the songs you're listening to on the radio and we're, we're not picking them because any record label is giving anybody money or anything like that and it's like um i wish that that hasn't like the image of that has been tarnished to the point where they don't really believe it anymore and it's kind of a bummer because you're right now more than ever there are so many different places to get your music who do you trust and who do you go to because my biggest problem is when I go to um, like a streaming service within four songs, you know, it's just an algorithm. At that oh yeah. Point, right. Um, and it, you lose something there. I think there's the human, there's a humanity to curation and music that a computer can say that, you know, well, if you like these 12 songs, you should like this one which is fine, but there's still something to, you know, I heard this on queued up, which means my favorite radio station put their stamp on it. Right. Well, I mean, as it pertains to MTV, just to stay in Pinfield for a second, he was always genuinely enthusiastic. I mean, he knew, he knew his stuff. I mean, he obviously had an encyclopedic approach to, to music, but he was infectiously enthusiastic about the bands he was talking to. When he sold a record, so to speak, you believed it, you bought into it. And that, that's that curation we're talking about. What was great about 120 minutes is what's great about some of my favorite radio. It was buried in the middle of the night when only miscreants and dangerous loners were watching. That's when the best radio shows are. Correct. Like, here in Chicago, a Demo 312 is a fantastic show, but it's buried on a Sunday night where it should be. That's when all the good stuff gets played. <laughs> that was the case with, with 120 Minutes. I mean, that show 
launched in 1986, and it was playing super for the time obscure stuff. I mean, that's the first place I heard the Minutemen and the Descendants and Skinny Puppy and the Cocteau Twins and Public Image Limited. And just the fact that I could turn on the TV at midnight and see this corrosion by Sisters of Mercy was mind blowing when the rest of the day was playing John Mellencamp and Madonna. I had no idea that 120 minutes was around for that long. Like I, you know, it's like revisionist or it's like personal history. Right. So if I discovered it in 1994, that's when it started. Right. <laughs> right. Like it, it had to have started in 1994 because I would have noticed it way before then side note. No, you wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but I don't remember the moment I noticed it or discovered it, but I, I definitely re- remember once I did discover it, that was a pivotal moment. Like that was a moment because it just planted that seed of, I always liked cool music, I guess you would say. I, I loved alternative music, but I was always curious about what was the second layer of that onion, like a new Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Soundgarden. But talk to me more about the screaming trees, you know, or, you know, triple fast action or things like that. Like, let's get a little bit, what's the next layer of, you know, cause you know, any music nerd gets to the, they want the good stuff, right. You know, it's, it's, you can go to a Chinese restaurant, order fried rice and you're gonna be fine. But like, what's the weird thing that doesn't have a picture next to it. Right. Like what's that one all about? <laughs> and be careful. I can talk to you about triple fast action for a full hour. We, we, uh, we can- we may have to make that a podcast at some point. Love because that. Ever man. since our history of alternative uh, podcast about the history of Chicago alternative. Um, boy, that is an itch that I keep scratching right there. <laughs> the vinyl re-release of Cattlemen Don't, just to underscore it one more time, just happened earlier this year. Uh, that's a must have. Totally unheard record from the 1990s. And it's, it's a stunning rock album. Talking about 120 minutes. When was when did Pinfield start there? Do you know? I think he took over the show in the mid 90s. It was Kevin Seal, Dave Kendall, and Louis Largent. That's amazing. I was so into that show. I remember discovering <laughs> here's a good uh corrupting the minds of America story. I remember discovering space hog of all bands space hog in the meantime, uh, on 120 minutes. And right after I was like, so obsessed with that song and I got sick and I stayed home from school one day and I must've recalled, uh, WKQX. I was that kid that called, I don't know, 18 times. Right. But, but it was uh, MTV that brought it to your attention MTV brought it to my attention and that's how it worked back then. It's like you found these cool songs. You're like, I got to get this on the radio, you know, because it wasn't like you could just go. I can't send my friend the MP3 and go, dude, listen to this, you know, and you had to, you had to get it on the radio and then you had to record it off the radio. So then you could give them the tape and go, dude, check this out. And I remember calling uh, KQX so many times. They'll fi- finally uh, one of the one of the one of the jocks goes, um, Hey man, you have you have good taste. Uh, here's the thing: I, I I can't play that for you right now. <laughs> I'm not gonna play that for you, but just know it's that's a good song. You have good taste, and I was like, I'll take that. I'll take no. that. I, I do, in hindsight, want to apologize for ever making fun of Mungo City off the following album, the Chinese album. 
I came to like that later in life. Hated it when it first came out. I think I called it Mungo shitty back in the day. But uh, repeat listens. I, I enjoy the the glam weirdness of that song. It, it popped up on a playlist recently when I was going for a walk. I'm like, yeah, the song's okay. Um, I guess. Now, shout outs to uh, our friend. We have a friend, Rob Goldklang, who that is his um, that is his white 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 whale of his career. Where he's a record uh, rep, and he is uh, that's the one that he always goes back to. Like, should have been a thing and never was. <laughs> The thing about MTV, going back there and leaving 120 minutes aside for a second, MTV was expert at creating events, building excitement for the things they did. They were plugged into the music community. Once the record industry realized that this was where it needed to invest its time, energy, and and money, it was just nonstop. It was just a, a speeding train. I mean, Kiss unmasked on MTV. Um, they carried Live Aid. I mean, by the time MTV was really reaching its its peak, they were able to pull off 16 hours of Live Aid programming. And I remember, again, I'm a slight bit older than you, John. I remember sitting all weekend watching Live Aid from home and flipping video cassettes to make sure I got it all recorded. But that that that, that was the power of MTV. And obviously, it's a very different product now. But to have that shared experience, that, that curation, if, if MTV put a stamp on Live Aid, yeah, it, it was an important thing. I did that same thing uh, for Spring Break 99 on MTV, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Shout outs to Daisy Fuentes. <laughs> but they would have guest VJs. I mean, during their, their new wave period, they'd have Duran Duran or Billy Idol serve as guest VJs. They created their own self-serving award show that became one of the most important pop cultural events, the Video Music Awards. That was a, a much bigger deal than any of the other award shows to anyone under the age of 30. It very quickly became the only award show that really mattered, right? I mean, For to, sure. to anyone uh, under the age of, I don't know, pick an age, right? Kids, uh, you know, that was, I don't care who wins a Grammy. Like Jethro, as soon as Jethro Tull wins a Grammy for rock record, you're like, I don't care about this. And then there's MTV going like, let's give it, you know, to the people that deserve it. And you're like, oh, this is this is better. Right. This is more like it. You know, they have Nirvana perform. OK, now I, you know, I'm in. I'm interested, you know. And just as a point of clarification. Jethro Tull's win was far worse than what you just described. They won the Grammy for best metal. That's right. Even That's worse. Where I thought I didn't, I didn't want to go too far. I was like, was it metal or just rock? But regardless even more offensive yeah regardless right Uh (laughs) when do you think when do you think mtv really really broke big like when did it become like you said it was when the record labels discovered it but for the audience oh i think it was immediate finding a moment or no i i I think it the impact was immediate that campaign which people still reference the i want my mtv campaign uh, was proof of just how big of a deal it was culturally. It was a campaign to encourage cable operators to carry MTV. It was a, a, this grassroots thing encouraging average people, average cable cable subscribers to say how important MTV was. And it, it took hold. It was a national, they would run promos all day. I want my MTV. The impact I think was instant. And it, it lined up with a really important rush of music. I and mean, the second British invasion was happening concurrent with the launch of MTV. So I would lump U2 in there, even though they're not British, obviously, but U2 and Eurythmics, the police 
had a moment then. Um, Billy Idol, Robert Palmer, Bananarama, all these bands were becoming a big deal as MTV was taking off. So they were in the right place at the right time. And I, I, I think it was fairly instant. And then following that up with the dreaded hair metal movement and, you know, where would MTV be without all of the looking back awful bands of, you know, uh, this is me speaking personally, like I can't stand hair metal. So like, I, can't I, I, I speak for myself, but like the Motley Crue's and the Warrants and I mean, it was essentially as a kid growing up, that was your that was your free softcore porn was watching Headbangers Ball, right? Because it was all it was all dudes in spandex and like chicks in less than spandex for this an hour true. every night, right? But that was huge too. Like that was the biggest thing. And I didn't have cable. So growing up as a kid, so I never even got MTV. It oh, was, I, I didn't have it initially. I mean, that was something you'd go to your friend's house to watch. Yeah, and that was what I was about to say was MTV was so big back then. You would go to your friends that had it and you would just sit and watch MTV. You know, you mentioned the hair hair stuff and I, I think lumping Motley Crue and there's a little dubious, but you mentioned the hair stuff. What I liked about MTV was kind of that CHR top 40 approach in that you could hear hair metal next to Prince, yeah, next to Mellencamp, next to Madonna, Lots of different sounds. So the, the kids who came up in that era took it all in. Now, notoriously, MTV had an issue with color. It, it was very white in the beginning to the point where David Bowie did an interview with Mark Goodman, a former DJ in WKQX back in the day. Uh, David Bowie did an interview with Goodman and he called MTV out talking about the color barrier and how white MTV was. Obviously, that changed as the years progressed, but in the beginning, it was uh, it was really vanilla. Yeah, it was. Was Michael Jackson the one that kind of broke the barrier eventually? I mean, he had to be the beginning of it. But, you know, my, can you imagine now looking at MTV and, and thinking of it without Michael Jackson or Prince? <laughs> like, right. that's impossible. Exactly. That's impossible. And it was good to see. I mean, obviously, it's an interesting thing where they went eclectic. But then as they gained this like popularity and as they became a bigger force in the industry, that shifted back again to a very pop oriented based format where you lost a lot of the eclectic stuff and it became very, um, I mean, (laughs) it literally became TRL. Uh, which we'll talk about, but it it turned into a very pop centric uh, show or station, which it did. And that probably happened if you're if we're thinking about the same time around 1997, it, it definitely veered more into teen pop. And I don't think that was the wrong move for them because music was confused at that point. Alternative music had started to lose its shine at that point in the nineties, the, the stuff that was working, in 94 through 96 wasn't really working as much. And then you had a whole new crop of teen stars. And that was, that was where the flavor and that's where the zeitgeist was. It made sense. Yeah. So let's transition to TRL for a second, because you can't talk about MTV's. I mean, you could really, I, I think TRL is MTV's final triumph, mm-hmm. so to speak in that. I, I feel like MTV's TRL was the last 
touchstone of like you had to know about this moment. And, and TRL really evolved out of dial MTV. That was the right. precursor. And, and I think they kept the same number, if I'm not mistaken, until at least the early aughts. I, I'm pretty sure it was the same number from the 80s through the 21st century. I always respected that they pretended to keep it to make it look live. Um, and it was anything could happen. Okay, sure. Um, but that was always such a weird show because it was kind of the last place where everything kind of intermingled. So within one show, you could have um, Mariah Carey show up and then some boy band, uh, some boy from a boy band is there. And then also Jonathan Davis from Corn. Exactly. All at the same time. And it was always such a bizarre it was so bizarre. It was very disjointed and strange, but at the same time, hilarious to watch, you know, uh, um, a, a rock and roll, a, a Marilyn Manson. Well, he's a cartoon character, but like a corn is a great example. Like sitting in a room full of like 13 year old girls screaming for Britney Spears. And then like Jonathan Davis would show up and they still be excited. I think they were, they were just excited about anything, right? It didn't really matter. They were just happy to be there, but it was always such a bizarre juxtaposition of like, uh, this is dark music. You should, I, I don't, I don't know about this one. <laughs> right. But it would make the countdowns. It was so weird. And 100, 120 minutes persisted through it all. I, I wanted to mention going back down the, uh, the, the alternative side of things, there were a couple of CDs. Like this was the power of MTV and, 120 minutes, a couple CDs in the early nineties that kind of spotlighted all these. It was really alternative music at this turning point. It was the end of the eighties college rock, the beginning of the nineties. So these comps that never mind the mainstream had soul asylum, Bob mold, Sinead O'Connor, Robin Hitchcock, camper van Beethoven X ministry, uh, joy division, new order Ramones, that I mean that for a lot of people, for a lot of those Gen Xers, those were the Rosetta Stone from which all their learning followed of music. And that continued on into the 2000s as well, though, because you had um, Block Party, The National, uh, Cold War Kids, kind of all of the Band of Horses, Kings of Leon before they exploded. That was where you'd go on 120 minutes as well as you get all of those. They didn't come out with compilations, but it was still the same thing where it was. All of that's what's so great about 120 minutes, right? Like it was all of these really great bands. I remember uh, discovering Silver Sun Pickups off of that. And it wasn't Lazy Eye. It was Well Thought Out Twinkles, which was their first single. And, uh, you know, as someone who grew up worshiping Chicago music and Smashing Pumpkins, I remember um, my my buddy and I, um, who was also like a huge music nerd, I presented it to him. I was like, dude, check this out. I like, are we allowed to like this? Because it's kind of, kind of biting pumpkins here a little bit. And as I'll never forget. He looked at me. He's like, yeah, dude, this is awesome. <laughs> you can like this. It's okay. I, I think we've independent of this podcast, had this conversation off air, so to speak. Uh, that band holds up really well. I, yeah. I think, I think their, their music has aged really well this century. I, I, I think they're probably not given enough credit because, of exactly what you were saying. People kind of think of them as a second gen pumpkins, but I, I think they stand on their own. They're a really good band. Co-sign that completely. And that was, you know, that's kind of the amazing thing about 120 minutes is 
maybe more so than any other show that MTV produced, that one always felt cool. Mm-hmm. Like always, it was always cool. Even if, even if you didn't like what was happening during it, like going through the, uh, the, the banjo era, I guess I'll call it, you know, when all of kind of the Americana music started coming out and it was like, not my thing, but you could listen to it and go, I, I don't get it personally, but there certainly seems to be a thing here. I'll, I'll go along with it. And you know, that's the true make of a great show or a great curator. Uh, like, like you were talking about earlier is when they can give you stuff that you don't like and you, you give them the benefit of the doubt and you go, okay. And even if you don't like it, you go, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go get this. I'll wait for your next suggestion. though. I'll come back. Give me more. The best use of the banjo, the Muppet movie. I, I'm sorry. I thought that went without saying. I would have brought that up, but I just assumed we all knew that. <laughs> but to your point, as far as curation goes, that's the difference between a host and a really good host. Someone who is able to explain to you why you should give a shit about what you're about to hear and who, who gets you to commit for that three or four minutes. 100, 120 minutes was great at that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some other big MTV things that we should probably address, especially right now, considering um, you, know, you can't talk about MTV without talking about the real world as they go to celebrate the 30th anniversary of uh, MTV's The Real World. Uh, was that Paramount Network? Mm-hmm. Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, the last streaming network you need um, to complete your collection, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I I got rid of cable yeah. about a year or so ago, and I'm absolutely paying more for entertainment than I was with cable because of all the services, because I have to have Shutter and HBO Max and Netflix and Disney Plus. And of course, there's the annual Amazon Prime subscription. Correct. And Hulu. I've got Hulu Live. That's like they just up that to like 70 bucks a month. Uh, also, don't forget about Discovery Plus. I don't know if you brought that one up. Uh, nope. It's endless amounts of Iron Chefs. And uh, naked and afraid, you can't go wrong there. Uh, I used, I was laughing when that was coming out because I was like, I can't imagine needing the Discovery streaming service because the Discovery Channel is the, that's always where you just end up when you're scrolling through your TV, right? Like you never, that's never a destination. That's always just the like. I surrender. Yeah. All right. Cool. I'll watch the show about this dude stuck in the woods, whatever. It's fine. I'll just, as I nod off on a Sunday afternoon, uh, of course I say that. And then two weeks later, it's like, it's only five bucks and I get all the Bourdain's. All right. I'm in. (laughs) So by the way, Anthony Bourdain, Anthony Bourdain would have been a great host of 120 minutes. I agree. I, I have one or two of his cookbooks here. I love, he, he was a really smart food guy. Yeah. Uh, so the real world, it, it's amazing how much of an impact that had. I interviewed Andre Como. He was on the first season of Real Worlds. Interviewed him a couple months ago. I mean, that dude still gets recognized anywhere he goes. Just anyone from that first cast, especially because it, it was such a big deal. I mean, you, as you talk about the Discovery Channel, that's all reality TV. That network could not have existed had the real world not been a thing. And it's, you know, for as much gruff as you kind of give MTV now um, and for what reality television has turned into, you go back to, you know, the real world before it became air quotes, the real world. 
it was pretty fantastic and it was really important. And it was, it was one of the first times you got to see real life people talking about real life things, um, you know, racism, drug abuse. Um, and then of course the season with Pedro and mm-hmm. his dealing with AIDS and HIV. I mean, you didn't have any of that on television yet. No. So these early years of the real world were so important and such a big deal. And Again, another one of those things where this is pre, you know, on-demand viewing. So it was, you got to watch it and then you got to talk about it. And if you missed it, you really messed up because <laughs> you got it. You, your friends are always talking about it and it'll be interesting to see. It's kind of a shame because, you know, now it's turned into, it's not really, it's, it's not the real world. Now it's just like, let's throw five Italians in a house and see what happens. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I lived with five, grew up with five Italians in the house. I know what happens, right? <laughs> so the real world really was a wake-up call to MTV programming that this type of programming worked. And it was certainly a cost-effective way of doing original programming. And it begat lots more reality shows. And as that happened, certainly music became less of a thing. In fact, if you go to MTV's website now, it says MTV. Reality TV shows, celebrity news, pop culture, and music. I was going to joke about this after the, after the pod, but it's pretty funny, so I'll use it here too. Um, when I was doing the research for this, I was going to send you a text, and I go, here's all we need to know about MTV's relevancy. The latest, most recent article I could find about the history of alternative, or history of MTV was from 2011. <laughs> like they just stopped. There's no more uh, cultural re- relevancy apparently after 2011. Well, oh, interesting. Speaking of 2011, that was the year when the MTV oral history came out, which I, I strongly recommend. I haven't read it in years. Uh, it's called I Want My MTV, the uncensored story of the music video revolution by Craig Marks and Rob Tannenbaum. It really is, in addition to all the, the behind the scenes stuff of MTV, Lots of great stories, thoughts, and opinions from the musicians whose videos were played on MTV. So as far as that being the last year of, of relevancy, that book, I think, put a ribbon on everything. So if you, if you have any interest, I love the oral history format. No secret, sure. but uh, that, that's a fantastic read. Do you think MTV was hurt or helped by all of the their foray into original content because that was a big moment too where it went from i mean it kind of killed the video right like they stopped doing music videos at that point and it just became shows well and let's take a step back as far as original content goes this is the network that gave the world unplugged like before they went reality their original content was pretty strong remote control gave the world colin quinn um and jenny mccarthy didn't it give us Adam Sandler too? Oh yeah. Yeah. So their, their original content was great. I, I think it was the right move. I mean, every, everyone needs to evolve. Yeah. And with the ad, I mean, we, we struggle with this in the radio world as well. It's, it's with the advent of on demand, everything you kind of got to pick your lane and stick to it. Mm-hmm. And for a, it's one thing for a radio station. Cause you go, there's, if you don't like alternative, there's, there's your country station down the dial. It's fine. Mm-hmm. MTV, which is enough. That, that's kind of bizarre, right? MTV was pretty much it, right? You had MTV and you had VH1 
and you had the box shout outs to the box forever paying a dollar to get your request on the television that never happened <laughs> so good um but it's interesting that i mean you kind of eventually evolved into i guess cmt and bet but there was just one of everything there was not this conglomerate it's like if you don't like mtv you, if you like alternative music but you don't like mtv's alternative music you can listen to alternative tv right mm-hmm. it's it's interesting that it's and it took a long time for all these other formats to kind of pop out and i think once that happened mtv kind of realized like all right we can either get picked to death or we can just go big center lane top 40 music and then instead of relying on artists to provide content we'll just start making our own that's it semi-brilliant really i mean it's as a you know as someone who grows up through the mtv era it's incredibly jarring and you know as olds now we get to go like as old what does the m stand for not music right <laughs> yeah, you see that a lot yeah every, every every year when the vmas happen that's every comment uh, on social media so let's circle back to the beginning sure you know i talked about how i just assumed there'd be some big music video revolution and that in theory that could still come maybe the past year artists were recording music and they'll turn those recordings into videos down the road. But I guess the question really is, is TikTok MTV now? Does, does that assume that, that mantle? Here's the thing. I, I say no, because I don't think TikTok can crown people in the aspect of MTV could say Britney Spears is it. And therefore, Britney Spears was it. And Christina Aguilera was it. And therefore, Christina Aguilera was it. Kingmakers, right? Mm-hmm. Or in those scenarios, Queenmakers, whatever. I don't think social media, TikTok can do that. I don't think. And it's weird because you can say, well, what are you talking about? Um, Seven million, billion, jillion people subscribe to i don't even know these people uh, pewdiepie i don't i don't i don't know any of these people i don't know if he even is a tiktoker i know he's like a youtube guy but um they can say that and you're like how can you say that he's not a massive superstar a massive superstar you can say their name in front of your mom and they may not know who that person is but they've heard of them mm-hmm. and i think i think with the just the amount of content that gets pushed to you these days. You got to go back to being, you got to go back to finding the curator. Curators are needed more so now than ever. I, I completely agree. And I guess that leads to the final question. Is there a lane for basically starting from scratch with MTV, like building something on television that is a straight music model? Well, I mean, if you can find the time in between the 22 hours that they run ridiculousness, yes, I would think so. <laughs> um, you know, it's a tough question because I, I don't know if the new generation of people consume media that way anymore. I don't think, an, I think you would have to be a like startup 
very tertiary thing with a lot, not a lot of money wrapped up in it. Because what if it were a, a 24 hour streaming channel with curation? If you could get the, if you get, if you could get the attention, absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting because I look at radio always, right? Cause that's what we do. And it's, it's an interesting thing because I always say that, um, you know, when people get mad for us at, at you for playing or whatever, they get mad at you for playing, you know, Hey, I'm not, I'm not playing what I want. I'm playing what you want. That's, that's my goal. Right. But I also think that as time has evolved, there's a little bit more of that coming back where now it's um, okay. You've been bombarded with TikToks and Instagrams and Snapchats all day. You've been just exposed to everything relentlessly. Here's the five new tunes that we like. Mm -hmm. And I think there's more, I think if anything, there's more power in that than we may might realize at the moment. I completely agree. So can MTV return? I don't think in the traditional sense of does it, can MTV go back to playing music videos and TRL and be relevant, but can they, can they bring back TRL in some sort of iteration? I think so. Sure. I think it'll be really bizarre because it'll just be, you know, Snapchats <laughs> instead of full music videos. But I think there's an opportunity there. And I think, I think someone's going to do it. And I think it's going to be interesting because it's going to seem so weird and foreign and probably boring, honestly, because it won't be flashy graphics and just like what you're used to. It's going to be something kind of left to center that I think it will, it could work. And if you're asking, do I want to start hosting 120 minutes with you immediately? Yes. Let's start the YouTube channel right now. The History of Alternative podcast is recorded at the 101 WKQX Studios in Chicago. Subscribe on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't do drugs. Stay in school. 